God is good. Let's open our Bibles to James chapter 5. James 5.16 is where we're going to be. We're talking about prayer, in working prayer. James 5.16, the last the last part of this verse says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Effective, fervent prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we just pray right now that you'd open our hearts and open our minds. God, enlighten the eyes of our understanding. Lord, we wouldn't have the word of a man. We wouldn't have, uh, Lord, the beliefs or traditions of men. But, Father, we want your pure, unadulterated truth because only your truth, Lord, can set us free. Only your truth, Father God, can transform us and change us and conform us to the image of Christ. So, God, we ask you today that you would work by your Holy Spirit to reveal truth to our inward parts, to open our spiritual eyes and ears, that you would do a work, a transforming work in us by your Spirit, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The effective, fervent, in-working prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, we looked at this last week, this term effective, fervent, and we said that what that word meant, it was the Greek word energomio, which means energy. It's the word we get our word energy from. And the effective fervent is, a, is kind of a descriptor, but this word, the energy, it speaks of the work, the operation, the activity, the energy of the Holy Spirit that works in us. And the inworking prayer, it's a work, an inward work that the Spirit is doing, bringing us into conformity with the mind of Christ and bringing us into conformity with the will of God. So the effective, fervent, in-working prayer of a righteous man avails much. In-working prayer is prayer prayed in agreement with the operation and energy of the Holy Spirit working in you, conforming and aligning you with the mind and the will of God. The prayer that avails much is the prayer that is in agreement and conformity with the mind and the will of God. We said that prayer is a two-way road. Prayer's not just one way. It's not just me telling God all of my needs and all of my wants and all of my desires. But prayer is the essence of our relationship with God. And how many of you know, if you're in relationship with anybody at any level, relationship is a two-way road. I mean, if it's a one-way road, it's not a very satisfying relationship for at least one part, one party of the relationship, Right? I mean, some of you wives are saying, yeah, I know, that's the way my husband is. He just, it's always about him. And some of you husbands are going, you know, when my, some of you wives are going, you know, it's always, it's always about my husband. And the husbands are going, you know, it's always about my wife. Well, listen, it works best when it's a two-way road. And that's the way God wants our relationship to be with him. So prayer is the two-way road of the in-working operation of the Holy Spirit. Doing what? Bringing you into deeper relationship and conformity to his will. As we are in relationship with God, through that relationship, the Holy Spirit is working in us 
is active in us, is operating, operating in us to do what? To bring us into conformity with his mind, with his will, to bring us into a deepening, a deeper relationship with him, that I would grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in working prayer is prayer that conforms your mind to the mind of Christ. This is the effective, fervent prayer that avails much. It is the prayer that aligns your will with the will of God. And it is prayer that deepens your relationship with God and with one another. That's what prayer does. When we look at the scripture in James, he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There's something about relationship, not just me and God. See, you're not an island unto yourself, and it's not just you and God, mano y mano. It's me and God, baby. Uh-uh. God created you to be in relationship, to be in fellowship with other believers, with the body. And so as you grow in relationship with Christ, you must grow in relationship with those around you, with believers who are part of the body just as you are. And so this is the fervent, effective prayer. This is the in-working prayer. This is the in-working of the Holy Spirit bringing us to this place of conformity, alignment, and deepening relationship in God. So in-working prayer, the in-working prayer, we could say it like this, of a righteous man avails much because it is the prayer operating from the activity of the Holy Spirit in agreement with God's mind and God's will. So let me ask you this question. When is the Holy Spirit active and operating in you? When is the Holy Spirit bringing you into conformity and alignment and deeper relationship with God? When is that taking place? And the answer is always. See, it's not just when you're consciously praying to God. It's not just when you're praying your prayer list. It's not when you're praying in the Spirit. That it's, it's happening then. But we, we somehow think that God is not working in us, that His Spirit is not working at all times. I mean, God is working when you can't see it, when you don't know it, when you're not aware of it. His Spirit is ever working, doing what? conforming you to the mind of God, aligning you with the will of God, bringing your relationship to a deeper place. That's what he is doing when always. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. His will is for you. Your destiny, Romans 8, 29 says, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. You think that's only contingent upon what you do? It's not. You and I have a huge part to play in that. But if, if we only conform to his mind and his will based only on what I consciously do on his behalf, then I wouldn't even be here talking to you. Do you realize that God is always ordering your steps? God is always working in you and around you and ordering your life, bringing you to that place of conformity and alignment with the very mind and the very will of God. Yes, you had a part to play in making a choice of being where you are. You got up today and you said, I choose to go to church. It was your choice, but I'm telling you, there was also something unseen. There is something God has been doing in your life, even when you didn't know he was doing it, working in ways you didn't even know he was working, bringing you to the sum total of where you are right now. 
That is a fact. And that's something you and I have no control over. That is the work, the operation of the Holy Spirit in your life and through your life. Working in you, working in others. Working through you and working through others. So he is always bringing us to this place of conformity and alignment and deepening relationship. And when does that conformity, when does that alignment, and when does that relationship become reality in your life? When I say reality, when do you become aware of it? When does the light bulb go off? It's as you present yourself to God. As you present yourself to God. Do you realize that Jesus Christ, he came, he died on a cross, he was buried, he was raised, he ascended to the throne. On that day when he hung on that cross at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, we know exactly, exactly when Jesus gave up his spirit, when he died, when he breathed his last, when he said, it is finished. It was at 3 p.m. Why? Because that's when the high priest would, would sacrifice the lamb at the temple preparing for the Passover. And when Jesus died on the cross, when the perfect lamb of God died upon that cross, when he shed his blood for you and me, for all humanity, at that moment, the scripture says that the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. And what did that represent? It represented that the veil, the separation between man and God was no more. When the veil of the flesh of Jesus was torn, the veil in the temple was torn, and the way was now open for man to come back into relationship with God. There was no longer any separation. And it was by the blood of Jesus that that was made possible. And so what God has done is God has taken away the hindrance. He's thrown the door wide open, and he says, now I invite you to come Lord, how can I come to you? You come by the blood of my son because the blood of my son will wash you and cleanse you and make you new. And so now God has thrown the door open and he has invited us to present ourselves to him. It's now possible. Before Jesus, it was impossible. Even if I wanted to present myself to God, it was impossible for me to do it. But the thing was, I didn't even want to. Because the scripture says, while we were sinners, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. We weren't looking for God. He was looking for us. And now he's thrown the door and he says, now present yourself to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And so now this becomes a reality as we present ourselves to God. Amen, church? Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, brothers, brothers, I beg you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. No longer being conformed to the world, but being transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Present your bodies and be transformed. As I present myself to God, guess what happens? I become transformed because when I present myself to God, when I come to God, who am I focusing on? Who am I looking at? Who becomes the center of my attention? He does. And Paul says, as I behold him, as I behold that image, I am being 
transformed. That's what he said in 2 Corinthians 3.18. I am being transformed. So when I present myself to God, there is a transformation that takes place in my life. It's not a one-time transformation. I mean, I gave my life to Jesus Christ on July 19th, 1984. I presented myself to God. A light bulb went off. Something happened and I realized who Jesus Christ was. I realized that he died for my sins. I realized that I was hopeless without him. And I realized that it was impossible for me to come to God, but now through Jesus Christ, God had opened the way and I presented myself to God. So I did that in 1984. Does that mean I don't have to present myself anymore? Absolutely not. Paul said this. He said, I die daily. Did he literally die daily? Absolutely not. Not physically, but in a sense he did. Daily he did what? He reckoned himself dead. Daily he reckoned himself crucified with Christ. Daily he said, I will present myself to God I will not present myself to the world. I will not present my members to sin. I will not, not because I'm afraid God's going to be mad at me, but because, why? Because he is my life. Who else would I present myself to? So this becomes a reality, church, as I present myself to God. As I present myself to him, I realize that he is bringing me into conformity with his mind. He wants my thoughts to be his thoughts. Let this mind be in you, Philippians 2.5, which is also in Christ Jesus. He wants to align my will with his will. Remember, remember what we said, prayer is not about moving God. Prayer is about moving you, and it's about moving me. God doesn't move. I mean, he, he doesn't change. We need to align ourselves with his will. His will is fixed. He knows what he's doing. I'm the one that needs to figure it out. And prayer, as though we, we think it we're moving God, we're really moving us. We're moving us into alignment with the will of God. And that's when it flows. So present your bodies. Be transformed, Paul says. Becomes reality as we present ourselves to God. Now, let's look at 1 Kings 17, verse 1. We're going to look at Elijah. That was just an introduction to what we're going to talk about here today. Elijah, uh, 1 Kings 17. We're going to come back to James a little bit later, but let's go to 1 Kings. 1 Kings 17, we are introduced to Elijah the prophet. And there is no record of Elijah before this account in 1 Kings 17. And it says in verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, look at this church, before whom I stand. He said, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And I want you to understand something. Elijah was a man who presented himself to God. It doesn't say, hey Ahab, I had a dream last night and God told me to come tell you. He didn't say he got a letter from God. He didn't say another prophet gave him a word. No, he says, before whom I stand. 
And, and what I want you to understand, church, is that Elijah understood something. Elijah was a man who presented himself to God. Now, he didn't physically come into the presence of God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Elijah understood that he lived and he died and he did everything he did in the Lord. He had come to a place where he had given himself. He had presented himself to the Lord and he belonged to the Lord. When does the reality of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, when does that become reality in our life? When do we begin to see it? When do we begin to get the revelation of it? It's as we present ourselves to God. I mean, even if you're out there doing your own thing and you have a divine encounter and God in his sovereign grace just, you know, whacks you and all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, what, what, what? Oh, God, oh, man. You know, God, have you ever had one of those moments where God just gets your attention? I mean, you weren't trying to find God. You weren't looking for God. But, but God, just in his grace, he just got your attention. He got your attention so you could watch, so you could now present yourself to him. Because he wants to be in relationship with you. We're talking about prayer, and prayer, prayer is the essence of our relationship with God. It's how we relate to God. And in prayer, are we not presenting ourselves to God? We actually are. Absolutely. Who do you present yourself to? It's an important question for us to ask ourselves because who or what you present yourself to determines who or what you are conformed to. Who or what you present yourself to determines who or what you conform yourself to. Paul said, whatever image you're beholding, that's what you're going to be transformed into. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, keeping your eyes, fixing your gaze, looking unto Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. The beginner, the beginning and the end. The author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith is who? It's Jesus. And so who we present ourselves to or what we present ourselves to determines what we conform ourselves to. Elijah presented himself to God, but it was God who worked through Elijah. You present yourself to God, but you need to know that it is God who works in you. See, when, when Elijah did the miracle, when he prayed the prayer, Elijah didn't have the false notion that it was his power that stopped up heaven and kept it from raining. Elijah presented himself to God with the understanding that he was a vessel that God would work through. He was the prophet. It wasn't the word of Elijah. You notice what he said to Ahab? It's the word of the Lord. And he gave the word of the Lord. And it was the power of God. It was, why did it stop raining? Because that was the will of God. Did it stop raining because Elijah decided one day he wanted it to stop raining? Absolutely not. It stopped raining because God says, enough is enough. It's time for me to get Israel's attention. I love them too much to allow them to continue in their sin. And so if they want to go and worship false gods, let's see if the false gods can give them rain. And for three and a half years, there was no rain. 
Baal could not answer the prayer. And so it's God who works in you, Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. The fervent, effective, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Why? Because it is the inworking power of God bringing me into conformity with his mind, into conformity with his will, so that what I pray is exactly according to the mind of God. And what I pray is exactly according to the will of God. But the power is not of me, it's God who works in me to will and to do according to whose good pleasure? According to his good pleasure. So prayer, prayer is how we present ourselves to God. As we pray, we present ourselves to God. I mean, husbands, wives, can you remember your wedding day? Was, were both of you there at the altar? Was the husband and the wife, were you both standing there? How would you have liked to have gotten married and you're standing there and your, your wife is, is connected to you via satellite? And when the, when the pastor says, you may now kiss your bride, all you've got is a computer screen there. That's just doesn't, doesn't cut it, does it? You go on your honeymoon, and, and there you are in your hotel room, and there she is sitting on the counter <laughs> via satellite. No. What kind of relationship does God want to have with you? He wants to have a face-to-face. He wants, he wants you to present yourself to him. He doesn't want a letter from you. He doesn't want to, hi, how you doing, God? Call you when I need you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And when we come to him in prayer, prayer is how we present ourselves to him. It's a two-way street. He wants your fellowship. He wants your communion. And he also wants us to understand that it's not up to us. It's not our power. It's not our strength. It's his power. It's his strength. It's his spirit working on the inside of us, bringing us to conformity, bringing us into alignment with his will so that out of that relationship, out of that fellowship, my mind is his mind. My will is his will. I become like Jesus. As Jesus said to the Father, I don't say anything unless I hear my Father say it. I don't do anything unless I see my Father do it. Because their relationship was so intimate. There was so much unity. There was just a oneness between Jesus and the Father. And guess what? God wants our relationship to be the same way. And through prayer... Is how we present ourselves. and It's how God brings us to that conformity, that alignment, and that deepening relationship. And the scripture says, now let's go back to, to, to James 5. Let's look at what James says about Elijah here. Because Elijah really gives us an encouraging picture. And I think this is exactly why James wrote what he wrote here in this letter. Prayer is how we present ourselves to God. Elijah was a man who presented himself to God. For the Jews, Elijah was a prophet that held just a very, very special place. The miracles that Elijah did, some of the greatest miracles recorded in the Bible were done by Elijah. Elijah was associated with the coming of the Messiah in the last days. And so Elijah was this, was this 
was this prophet of God that held great significance with the people of Israel. And James, who wrote this letter, was the brother of Jesus. He was a Jew, and he's writing to these believers. And I want you to see what he says. He says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, I want you to see this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a man like us. Elijah was a man who had common passions. He was a man with common passions. That's what that word, with a nature like us, he had common passions. He had passions like we do. In other words, Elijah faced the same temptations we faced. He faced the same temptations of doubt and fear. Elijah was not immune to human frailty, but Elijah absolutely overcame his human frailty. And you can read the accounts in 1 King, and you see how Elijah overcame. You see that Elijah was tempted with the same things that we're tempted with. Elijah overcame his human frailty. Look, church, we are not immune to human frailty. We're not immune to the effects of the world we live in. The scripture says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But we overcome it through what? We overcome it through faith in Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says, This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Our faith. And anyone who is born of God overcomes the world. That's us. That's us. Elijah was a man with common passions. Elijah was a man with common possibilities. Elijah was a man with common possibilities. With Elijah, all things were possible just like us. There was the possibility of success. There was the possibility of failure. There was the possibility of love. There was the possibility of fear. There was the possibility of faith. And there was the possibility of doubt. See, what James is saying is Elijah wasn't superhuman. Elijah had the same passions you do. Elijah had the same possibilities you do. Elijah had to walk in faith and trust in the Lord just like we have to walk in faith and trust in the Lord. Elijah could have failed or he could have succeeded. He could have been fearful or he could have realized the love of God. I mean, after Elijah had his great victory on Mount Carmel and he finds himself in the desert place, he's sitting there and he says, you know what, I just want to die. And he's having a pity party there. And God comes to him. He said, why, why are you feeling sorry for yourself, Elijah? I'm the only one left. No, you're not. There are 7,000 that have not bowed their knees to Baal. You're not the only one left. And you see that Elijah was just a man. But he was a man of great faith. He was a man who presented himself to God. But it was God it was God who took that man of common passion. It was God who took that man of common possibility. And through his faith and through his trust in God, it was God who did great things through the man Elijah. And you see, church, it is God who will do great things through your life if you will trust him, if you will not allow the possibility of failure or of fear 
or of defeat to dictate and rule your life. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible, but so is my victory. So is my success. So is my faith. It's absolutely possible, and now it is more than just a possibility. The scripture says, in Jesus, I have already overcome. In Christ, I am already victorious. In Christ, I have already succeeded. Yeah, but Pastor Jeff, what about my situation? What about my circumstance what about this and who cares no God cares don't get me wrong but I'm saying don't let those things define your success don't let them define whether you are victorious or not don't let them determine whether you're going to live your life in fear or not live your life in faith why because of what Jesus has already done How are you going to know what Jesus has done? How are you going to come into the reality that that even though the world around me seems to be crumbling, Pastor, you're saying that I am victorious even though everything around me seems to be crumbling? That's exactly what I'm saying. Because your victory is not based on the world crumbling. The the victory is not based on, on everything you've based your hopes on and your dreams on crumbling. Because if you've based them on anything but Jesus Christ, then you've set yourself up for failure but I'm saying if you will get a revelation of the reality how do I do that by presenting myself to God by getting my eyes off the world and getting them back on to Jesus by stop by stopping to present myself to the world to sin to these things thinking that all of this is going to save me when it can't save me it can't save me can God use it to help me absolutely Does God want to use your business to bless you? Yes. Does God want to use your job to bless you? Yes. Does God want to use the things and the circumstances in and around your life for for your benefit and for the benefit of the kingdom? Yes. But what happens when those things change? They may change, but God never changes. Those things may change, but the victory you have in Christ, that never changes, church. That is a done deal. It cannot change. It cannot be revoked. It's irrevocable. Your calling God is irrevocable. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. You have been called. You have been gifted. You have been graced in Jesus Christ. It's irrevocable. Well, I sure don't feel like it. We'll quit living by your feelings. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Quit presenting yourself to anything and everything. Present yourself to God. Come into the reality of what he has done through you in Jesus Christ. It's not anywhere else. It's not in anyone else. It's not in anything else but Jesus Christ and him alone. Elijah was a man with common passions. He was a man with common possibilities. Elijah was not supernatural, but his God was. Therefore, his possibilities became supernatural, just like ours are in Christ. We live in a natural world. We live in natural bodies. But our possibilities are beyond the natural. They are absolutely supernatural. Where? In Christ. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do how many things? All. all. What does all mean? It means that, Does it leave anything out? Does it mean that you're like, uh, uh, well, I don't know, some of you guys aren't old enough, but when I was a kid, I watched that show, um, Bewitched. Remember, and that, that girl on that show could wiggle her nose 
and make anything happen. Is that what Paul is saying? We can just, we can just wiggle our nose at God and make anything we want happen? No. Absolutely not. Why? Because God will only do what's consistent with his mind and his will. If we're operating out of the realm of his mind and out of the realm of his will, you can wish it, you can want it, you can desire it, you can beg, plead, and cry all you want. If it's not according to the mind and the will of God, if it doesn't line up with the living word of God, it ain't going to happen, honey. And if it does, you better run from it because God didn't give it to you. And we got a lot of people running around wanting and desiring and praying for things and they're not aligned with the will of God. They're not conformed with the mind of God. And they think God has given them all this stuff and I'm beginning to wonder. There may be a God giving it to them but it ain't the God of heaven. It may be the God of this world. Do you know the enemy has power too? Come on, when Moses went to Egypt, those magicians in Egypt matched everything that Moses did. But they couldn't match up to the true God. See, we can be deceived by lying signs and wonders. We can be deceived by certain things. And that's why we need to be men and women like Elijah who present ourselves to God. Because as I present myself to God, God, by the inworking of his spirit, will begin to conform me to his mind, will begin to align me with his will, will begin to bring me into a deeper and deeper relationship with him. And when I hear his voice, I will know it's his voice. When I see him work, I will know it is him working. And then my prayers become his prayers. My desires become his desires. Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed with uncommon prayer. Uncommon to his day. Elijah prayed with uncommon prayer because he had an uncommon relationship with God. In Elijah's day, the, the fad was to follow the Baals, the false gods. And all of Israel was worshiping Baal. And they had destroyed the sacred places and, and replaced them with abominable places of false worship. And this was what was going on all over the land. And this is what Elijah was saying. You better return to the true and living God. Because your salvation's not going to be in Baal. Baal's not going to be able to meet your needs. Baal didn't deliver you out of Egypt. Baal is not your savior. Baal is not your deliverer. But, but they wouldn't listen. And Elijah prayed with uncommon prayer. Because Elijah had an uncommon relationship with God. See, if we follow the crowd, if we do what's popular, it may feel good and it may look good for the moment, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's God. Think about Jesus. He had a ministry of diminishing numbers. <laughs> And I'm all about getting as many people in church as possible. But I'm telling you what, Jesus didn't have a ministry just to get numbers. Jesus had a ministry to preach and proclaim truth because he understood that only truth would set you free. Jeremiah proclaimed a word that was not popular. It was so unpopular that it got him thrown into a dungeon. Elijah proclaimed a word that was so unpopular to the powers that be, that they put a bounty out for him and wanted his head. I'm wondering how many, how many of us today would be willing to put our heads on the line if it meant preaching the truth or compromising. He had an uncommon relationship with God. Elijah did not settle for a common relationship. He loved God with all of his heart, all of his soul, with all of his mind. He had an uncommon relationship. 
And in Christ, we have an advocate with the Father, ever making intercession for us. We have the Holy Spirit living and interceding inside of us, conforming us to his mind and to his will. A reality that is anything but common. Do you realize that, church? See, we need to be careful not to treat our relationship with God as something common. Because what God has given us in Jesus Christ is anything but common. There's nothing common about it. There's nothing in this world, there's nothing in any other belief system that that even compares to it. What God has given us in Jesus Christ is absolutely uncommon by the world's standards. It's not just uncommon, it's absolutely divine. It's absolutely divine what God has given us. Read Romans 8, 26 through 31 sometime and and catch what Paul is saying to these believers. The promise and the hope that he's giving to them. That even when we don't know what to pray, this is the in-working prayer that I'm talking about. And listen, you Pentecostals and Charismatics out there, I'm not talking about you praying in tongues. All right? I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with the gifts of the Spirit. But see... We want to reduce what God has done for us down to one little thing. And what God has done for us is so much bigger than what we can imagine. And when Paul says in Romans 8 that the Spirit helps in our weakness. And he begins to pray and intercede for us because he knows the mind of God. He is the Spirit of God. And he prays and intercedes always according to the will of God. And let's just turn there real quick. Because I I think this is important for us. Romans 8. Verse 26. Well, let's begin in verse 24. It says, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us. When does he do that? Always. It's not determined by your conscious thought. It's not determined by what you're doing or not doing. The spirit on the inside of you is ever making intercession on your behalf. Can you join in that? Yes, you can. Can you agree with that? Yes, you can. And there are times when I am joining with that and agreeing with that. But, but when I'm not joined with that, when I'm not agreed with that, when I'm sleeping in the dead of night, is the spirit sleeping Is he not making intercession for me? No, he never sleeps. He never slumbers. It says he he is making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts, who searches the heart? It's the spirit. He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he for Do you see that this is all connected? I mean, the Spirit's intercession on our behalf, the Spirit working in our behalf is absolutely tied to the promise that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. How do you think God brings good? How do you think God works it together? He works it by his spirit. That's how he does it. And then it goes on and it says this, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. How do you and I become conformed to the image of the son? Is it through our hard work? Is it through our long hours in prayer? Listen, our work and our prayer, that can help. But I'm telling you what, you can work yourself to death. You can run like a little squirrel on that treadmill and never get anywhere. You know what brings you to conformity? It is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the only one that can transform you. And God says you're predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And what I'm telling you, church, is that what God has given us in Jesus Christ is not common. It's absolutely uncommon. And the relationship that Elijah had with God was an uncommon relationship. And ours is even more uncommon. Ours is even more supernatural because Elijah had the Spirit of God working on his behalf. But we today, now we have the Spirit living on the inside of us. If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it will strengthen your mortal body. It will reveal things to come. It will lead you and guide you into all truth. It will teach you and remind you of the things that I have said Jesus proclaimed. He will testify of me. He will bear witness of me. He won't do anything on his own authority and anything he says and does will be all about me, said Jesus. So it's not about me. It's all about him. And God has given me the spirit working on the inside of me to bring me, what, into conformity to the image of the Son. Elijah prayed with uncommon perseverance. Why? Because un Elijah's uncommon relationship with God produced uncommon prayer. And out of that uncommon prayer was produced uncommon obedience and uncommon perseverance. And in Elijah, when the word of the Lord came and God says it's time for rain, in 1 Kings 18, 41 and 44, it says that Elijah proclaimed, he said, go tell Ahab to go up and eat and drink for I hear the abundance of the sound of rain. And the Bible says that Elijah on Mount Carmel bowed his face to the ground and put his face between his knees and he told his servant, he said, go and tell me what you see. Look to the sea and tell me what you see. And the servant goes, and he comes back, and he said, I don't see anything. And Elijah said, go again. And the servant went, and he came back, and he said, I don't see anything. And Elijah said, go again. And the servant went, and he came back, and he said, I still don't see anything. And Elijah said, go again. And the servant went, and he came back, and he said, I don't see anything, Elijah. He said, go again. And he went, and he looked, and he didn't see anything, and he came back, and he said, I still don't see anything. He said, go again. And he went again, and he came back. He said, still nothing. He said, go again. And he goes, and this time, 
he saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. And he came back and he said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand rising out of the sea. And Elijah said to Ahab, he said, you better go. He said, the rain is coming. Do you see though what Elijah said? Before he ever sent his servant the first time, and it took seven times before he saw the cloud. I wonder how many of us might have given up on time three or four or five. But Elijah made this declaration. He said, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. People, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. It hadn't rained for three and a half years. There was not dew even on the land for three and a half years. But yet Elijah heard the sound of the abundance of rain. How did he hear it? Did he literally hear it? No, there wasn't even any cloud in the sky. How did he hear it? He heard it by the Spirit. He knew what God had said. And when God said it, in Elijah's mind, in Elijah's book, it was a done deal. He'd have sent that servant back 777 times if need be, He was going to send him back until the cloud was there because the Lord had spoken and he knew the rain was coming. And you can say, well, there's something significant about the number seven. Well, maybe so, but maybe your number is three or maybe your number is 13 or maybe your number is 21 or maybe your number is one. I don't know. Maybe the first time you pray, you get it. But the question is, do you have such an uncommon relationship with God? Are your prayers so uncommon that you are willing to persevere until, until what? Until the answer comes. Are you? Are you willing to present yourself to God day after day after day, reckoning yourself crucified with him, believing the promises that he has given you by his word, not just his written word, but by the living word, Jesus Christ? Are you willing to persevere until? Is this word such a reality in you? That the thought of quitting, the thought of giving up does not even enter your mind because you know this is the word of God. And what God, I'm not talking about you getting some wish list and living like some high on the hog millionaire, like a spoiled kid. See, those days are done with. That's done with. That was an abuse of the truth of God. I'm talking about you knowing what the word of the Lord is, you knowing what the mind of God is, you knowing what the will of God is, and you praying an uncommon prayer out of an uncommon obedience with uncommon perseverance until you see the reality of God, until you see the answer and the word of God manifest. See, the church doesn't have that today. Because we've made our relationship with God a common thing. And we're more interested in entertaining people than seeing people transformed. But I'm going to tell you, if people don't want to be transformed, they're not going to be. You can come here all day long and you're not going to be transformed until you present yourself to God and you allow the Spirit of God to do a work in you. And if we turn church into just an entertainment hour then you've missed the whole point of what this is about. And if you think this is the only hour of the week you're going to have transformation affected upon you 
you've also missed the whole point of what this is all about. He doesn't just live in you on Sunday morning between 10.30 and 12. He lives in you all the time. His spirit is ever working, ever operating, ever active. Whether you see it or know it, it doesn't matter. And he is calling you to conformity with his mind, alignment with his will. He's calling you to relationship with him. And you can't be in relationship with him and not be in relationship with your brothers and your sisters. You can't be in relationship with him and not be in relationship with the body. It's impossible. If you try to do that, you are cutting yourself off from life and from the blessing and what God wants to do through you. I'm not saying you're going to go to hell. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying you're not living and fulfilling the purpose of God for your life. Elijah was a man like us, a man with common passions and common possibilities. Elijah prayed with uncommon prayer and uncommon perseverance. Elijah prayed again, and he got super natural results. Church, God desires your relationship with him to go beyond the common. Why? Because God desires for your prayers and your perseverance to be uncommon by any standard except his. Do you realize what the world would call uncommon should be common in the kingdom? Do you realize when the world looks at you and says, you know, you're just a little too radical for Jesus? I've had people tell me, You know, you can be too religious. Well, you're right. You can be too religious, but you can't be in too much relationship with God. You can't. Don't tell me you can love Jesus too much because that's impossible. Don't tell me that I can get too close to Jesus. Nuh-uh. I can't get close enough to Jesus. I can't know him well enough. And God wants our relationship and our prayers and our perseverance to be uncommon by any standard. By the world's standard, we should be called uncommon. So your prayers will produce results that are supernatural. Supernatural in what sense? As they conform to his mind, to his will, and to his power. Amen, church? Prayer. There is something powerful about prayer. And the privilege God has given us in coming to him and presenting ourselves to him in being in relationship with him. Don't make your relationship with God a common thing. Don't minimize and diminish the power and the privilege that we have in relationship with God. Get a revelation of the fact that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. You are not lacking power. You You possess the fullness of his power. We just don't have the revelation of it. We're not living in the reality of it. It's a reality. It's just not real to us. And if it's not real to us, we're never going to walk in it. We're never going to operate in it. And that reality can only come to you by a revelation of his spirit. And that's exactly why he put his spirit inside of us. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're born again, you got all the spirit of God you're ever going to get. I consider myself charismatic, but I'm telling you, if you're born again, not what my charismatic doctrine teaches, but what this scripture teaches is that if you are born again, you have all of the spirit you will ever get. 
I don't care whether you speak in tongues or not. You have all the spirit you will ever get. Are you walking in it? Do you have the manifestation of it? Maybe not. Because the reality of what you have and the reality of your manifestation are two different things. If you want a manifestation, get a revelation. Amen? If you want a manifestation, seek God for a revelation. When you get the revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory, honey, you'll have all the manifestation you can handle. I promise you, you will. Before I do anything else, I want to know, is there anyone here who has never committed their life to Jesus Christ? See, all we talk about, everything I just said is a moot point if you never come to God, if you never come to Christ, if you never present yourself to Jesus Christ, and you never enter into that life that he bought and paid for by his blood on that cross. And if you're here and you say, Pastor Jeff, I, I, don't, I have never committed my life to Jesus Christ, but I want to do that today. Would you be so bold to raise your hand and say, I want to do that before I leave. I want to know, I want to know that I have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Is there anyone? 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 Let's all stand. If you're here and you would like prayer after the service, I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. And if you want prayer for healing, you want prayer for any need, big or small, it doesn't matter. I, you know, people come to me sometimes and say, well, I wanted prayer, but I just felt like my need was so, you know, God's got so much other things, so much, so much more important than my little bitty need. Don't have that mentality because God cares about your smallest need. And if, if it's robbing you of joy and peace, then, then God wants you, he wants you to get prayer for it if that's what you want and that's what you need. So you come up here for prayer it doesn't matter what it is. If you'll just come and sit on these front pews and just wait after the service is dismissed, we'll come and, and we'll we'll pray for you, anoint you with oil, lay hands on you, and believe God for miraculous things to happen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you that God, you've given us your word to proclaim. Father, we pray today that Lord, what was proclaimed from your word, Lord, would would go into hearts that are open, good soil, ears that are open, minds that are open. God, I know that my words can do nothing, but, but Lord, the word of truth spoken with the Holy Spirit's power working on the inside of us. God, if we will allow those words to have a place in our heart, Lord, your spirit will bring a transformation. Your spirit will bring a revelation. Lord, I proclaim the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek after me with all of your heart. And Father, I pray that we would be a people that would seek your face with all of our heart. That we would not be distracted to the right or to the left. But we would be a people looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us your spirit as a guarantee and that your spirit working in us will bring about the transformation. God, you have predestined us to walk in and to manifest in Jesus Christ. We thank you. We praise you. We give you all the glory, God, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. God bless you. Have a great day. Have a great week. And uh, we'll see you adults Wednesday night. And if you're a kid, 
come on Wednesday night. It doesn't matter. You can come too. I think the kids are got activities or things planned this week. But uh, I'm sure the adults won't kick you out. If you'd like prayer, come on up and we'll be more than happy to pray with you. God bless you. Remember, if you're a first-time visitor,